When you hear the word home, what comes to your mind? What do you think about? Do you think walls? Do you think doors? Do you think carpeting, chairs, a roof? Do you think condo, pool in the backyard, that kind of stuff? Or maybe when you heard the word home, you thought of things like family. You thought of your wife, your husband, your kids. You thought of your mom and dad, the talks you had around the kitchen table. You thought of the meals and the conversation and the laughs. You thought of the tears and the hard days, as well as the good. You thought of the people, not the stuff. You thought of the love, not the walls. You thought of the dreams and support, not the bricks. That's really what home means to us, isn't it? It's not about some structure. It's about the people. It's about the family. It's about love. So, hey, question time. Think about your church. Is this church your home? Is this church to you just bricks and walls and chairs and songs and sermons, or is it your home? Is this the place where you come every week like you would a grocery store, like the bank or the library, or any other place that's part of the errand list? Or is this church your home? For you, it's the place you come to worship Jesus Christ with others. For you, it's the place you're challenged to grow in the Lord. It's the place where you belong to a community of believers who know your name and who care for you. It's the place where you roll up your sleeves and do your part. It's the place you sacrifice and serve in to build up. It's the place you pour out love. It's your family. It's your home. Is this church your home? Right. Another another timely question for us this morning, as we just celebrated what God is doing in, in bringing Mark onto the, the elder servant leadership team here. Uh, we've also uh, been pretty clear uh, in, in sensing the Lord's direction for us as a church after nine months here at our new facility and, and really doubling in, in our Sunday attendance, that really as we move forward into March, uh, that, that's a question that we just need to ask out of love, at a heart of love. Is this church your home? Right? With all that that means. And, and, and for some, it's like, well, what does that mean? Right? What does that mean? And we're going to spend uh, today and, and next week and maybe the week after looking at what it means to call Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship your home. Your home. Right? And, and, and there's a lot of ways that, that if you've been in the church for any length of time, you know, um, in the last couple of weeks, we've celebrated that, that uh, unsolicited people have told us, hey, God's put on our heart. This is our church home. And then they ask us, how do I join? Right? So, so, so they, they profess, beautiful, yes, we're here. God has called us here. And then they ask us, how do I join? Or well, what's your membership process, right? Or do you have one? And, and we're going to answer those questions moving forward. Um, and, and, and the heart of our time the next week or so is for you to pray. For you to pray. Where God is calling you in the overall body of Christ to be a part of, to commit to, to call home. Now, now I understand that, that in, the, in the culture that we live in, home and family, um, you know, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of uh, fracture. There's a lot of, of maybe not, not necessarily the best 
feelings associated with that. So, so when you say, is this church your home? That may kind of set you off a little bit. Maybe past church experiences may kind of cause you to be a little bit hesitant to even want to go there and joining. And, you know, maybe you've been burned. Maybe, you know, it just wasn't pleasant. And now you're here and maybe it's taken a while to even come back to church. And now, you know, what do they mean? You know, is this, is this the cell? You know, is this where they're going to get us to sign up? You know, is this, is this I, I told you, honey, it was coming. You know, no, that's not what this is. That is really not what this is. When, when we uh, pray, had been praying for, for the next elder on the board, literally, as Bill said, it was two years. Two years. How many have ever had a prayer request and God just seems to take his time with it? The old wait, right? Yes, no, wait. Well, well, sometimes there's a process, and we understand that there's a process, a relational process of getting to know us here. I get that, you know. I, I, I you know, was a believer. Didn't, I mean, I didn't have the title, and I was just a Christian going to church. And sometimes you go to church, and you, you sit in the back row, and you're like, first time, and you're like, oh, what are they all about here? And, and I get the whole, you know, what's the, what's the environment? How are the people? What are the programs? How's the music? I get it. I, all of that. All the stuff that runs through our minds, right? As you're discerning, is this where God's calling us? Is this where God's calling us? Lord, where, where would you have us to land? Where would you have me to land? You know, and Mark, if it's okay, I share Mark and Kathy, uh, you know, they were here in, in, in Ojai for many, many years, raised their kids here, and they went to the East Coast for several years, and then they moved back. And they came to visit us, and was it a year? A year. And they said, hey, we're here, and, and we're seeking God's will for where he wants us to, to really land and, and, and be in covenant or, or you know, participate in a local church. For them, it was a year-long process. So we understand that. We understand that here, here at Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship, it is not about running people through hoops and getting you to run through classes and just feel good that you signed something and you went to something, and I guess I'm in. Not sure what that means, but I guess we're in. You know, and, 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 and I'm not being disrespectful of processes and structures and things that various churches put into place regarding membership and all of that. I understand the importance of that. I, I came from San Diego where I was part of big churches, churches of thousands, where we had to have structures and classes and everything like that. So I understand that administratively, okay? Our heart as we go forward is for you to understand our heart. Our heart. What does it mean to call this place your church home? We're going to look at that. And, and we're going to look at it because uh, it's very important that, that we're open and we're willing to even look at our own preconceived ideas, our own experiences, our own you know, luggage, baggage that we bring in as we kind of answer this, Lord, is this the place? Is this the place? Right? Because it's really about relationships in the church. Right? In John 1, 12 and 13, it says, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of a natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. So if you put your faith in Christ, you become immediately part of what? In the big picture, the family of God. Right? So in one sense, when we're around here and you say, Hey, brother, hey, sister, you know, we're not just kind of being cute. It's true. Amen? 
You are part of the family of God. You, you are born into God's family, which means relationships. Right? Then we take it down to kind of a, a, a smaller level, the body of Christ, right? 1 Corinthians 12, 12, 13. The body is a unit, though it is made up of many parts, and though all its parts are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink, right? So faith in Christ, born again, part of the family of God. 1 Corinthians 12, now you're part of the body of Christ, the church, right? Family of God. And then look at what Romans 12 says. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member, everyone together, what? Ooh. Each member belongs to all the others. Turn to the person next to you and say, we belong to each other. Oh, right? So right away, right away, even if we were to camp here, some of you, that's already, you're triggered. What are you triggered about? Here's what you were triggered about. We grow up in a very individualistic, privatized culture. Even our Christianity is individualized and privatized. And so we come to church, but we really like our space. How many of you prefer an empty seat next to you? We kind of like that private space. We kind of have that one of the, one of the values in, a, in, a, in American culture is personal peace. My space. Just, just give me my space, right? And so, okay, family of God, kind of cool. I acknowledge family of God. Body of Christ, kind of cool. I get it. I'm sitting in the back row, but I'm part of the body of Christ, right? Big picture stuff. And then all of a sudden, Romans 12, 5, he says, each member belongs to all the others. Woo! See, the good news is he's talking to all of us. This isn't an OVCF thing. Amen? See, this is, this, is, this, is where, this is where I'm wanting you to really seek the Lord because this is where we're challenged at the heart level between you and God. He's already telling you as a believer, hey, believer, you are put into relationship with other believers. Right? And then Ephesians 4 takes it down to the local level. It says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Right? So then it goes all the way down and says, hey, in every local church, my job and really the church of the leadership is to equip you for works of service so that this body can be built up. In what? In love. So from the big picture level to the family of God, to the church, body of Christ, all the way down to the local level, we're called to be in relationship. You can't escape it. You can't escape it, right? Many of us try to be what we call Lone Ranger. There are no Lone Rangers. How many of you remember the show, The Lone Ranger? The Lone Ranger, what made The Lone Ranger The Lone Ranger? He would see a need. What would he do? He would swoop in, help, 
rescue someone, right? Defeat the bad guys. But what would the Lone Ranger do? He would leave. He would leave his calling card, right? But at the end, you'd always see him up on the mountain, right? Wouldn't you always see him over there? And sometimes in the church, we're like the Lone Rangers. Not that we're not connected, not that we don't want to help, but what we'll do is we'll swoop in. There's a potluck. Who brought this casserole? It's so good. I don't know. She dropped it and left. Right? Sometimes in the church, we're like lone rangers. We'll participate, but we don't want the relationship. We'll serve, but don't ask me to hang around for the after. Right? It's this relational thing. And and sometimes you have to ask yourself and spend time processing, Lord, why am I so triggered by relationship? Right? And if you're struggling with this, I'm with you. I shared with you when I was, I think, a junior at UCLA. uh, I, I inquired about ROTC. Navy ROTC. My dad had been a career Navy guy. My brother went to the Naval Academy. And so I'm like, hey, let's explore this. So I went through the whole deal. I got the packet, the application packet. I filled it out. And then there was the deadline. And the more I got closer to that deadline, I got more and more. Because I knew if I hand this to the guy, my independent living is over. They own me. For however long that it, you understand what I'm saying? So what the real issue was, I love the Navy. I love the structure. My, again, I had a lot of family. I was looking forward. I want to be an officer, the whole deal. But what, what was really the point of resistance for me to hand in that application was giving up my life. I kind of liked being a free spirit at UCLA and coming and going and not having any. I, I like being the boss. Anyone like being the boss? Anyone like coming and going? Right? And so... Deadline came and went. Because <laughs> at that stage in my life, I, could, I, I, I just want to give up. I just don't want to give up what I felt was, you know, at that time, this valued independence, this valued, you know. And, 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 and so it wasn't just this, this prideful, selfish thing. There had also hurt in my life. There were also things in my life that, that there was deep betrayal and, and deep wounds from trusting people. And so this, this idea of giving my life up and having to be in relationship and having to all of a sudden all these wounds of having trusted people and being betrayed and being lied to and all this, I'm like, you know, my life is a lot less complicated when I keep everyone here. And maybe a select one <laughs> I let in. And sometimes even in the church, we're called into relationship. We're called into covenant. We're called to love one another, bear each other's figure, forgive one another. And yet, we resist. Maybe it's out of this great independent spirit. Maybe it's just out of wounds. And we don't want to be hurt again. Right? And that's why we understand it's, it's a process. It's a process. That's why here we believe that words matter. Words really matter when it comes to, is this church your home? You won't hear us use the word membership here. We don't use the word membership uh, because 
there, there are certain, you know, in our culture, it's mostly a cultural thing that membership carries with it some baggage, you know, like how many of you are members at Costco? Right? So I say membership. Well, what's the difference? Membership Costco, membership at the gym, membership at the church. Right? What we say is, is, is covenant. It's covenant. So what you, what you believe about joining a church home, making a church home, really profoundly impacts you. There's a, there's a, a cycle that, that I've shared with you years and years now. It's beliefs, thoughts, emotions, actions. Right? If you want to know in your life why, why you're doing certain things, Work backwards to your beliefs. See, a lot of times as a youth pastor for years and years, I would have parents say, hey, can you fix Johnny? His behavior is really bad. Can you meet with Johnny and fix his behavior? You see, they were living, they were living right here because Johnny wasn't acting like a Christian. What I would do when I meet with Johnny is I'd work all the way back and I would ask Johnny where he stands with Jesus. Because I wanted to know what Johnny believed about Jesus. Because what Johnny believed about Jesus or doesn't believe about Jesus affects how he thinks, his emotions, and ultimately his behavior. Same thing happens when it comes to belonging to a church. Well, some of us, everyone here probably has a belief, whether you're not aware of it. Well, that's affecting your thoughts right now. It's affecting your emotions about this. Some of you are like, let's do this. Other of you are like, see ya. You're triggered. And then actions, ultimately it's going to play out. And we understand around here it takes time. We don't try to fast track you. We let God do the work. Amen? In his time and his way, just let God do it. You don't have to micromanage everything. Right? So today I want to kind of just start with this intro. And, and, and how many of you have ever heard the phrase, right, words matter? How many of you have ever just heard Christianity described? Did someone say, Christianity is a relationship, not a religion? Anyone? It's a relationship, not a religion, right? And I said, okay, so what do you mean by that? Well, it's personal. Okay. So Christianity is a personal relationship. Okay. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? Right? Because sometimes we say things, even as believers, and we're not sure where we picked it up, but we just say it enough that we believe it. We don't think through it, right? So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through it. I'm just going to, you know... It was challenging to me, but I think this is where we need to start. How would you describe your personal relationship with Jesus? All right? And I'm just going to put words up here. I just want you to think. Some start real positive, but then it's going to get maybe a little uncomfortable. Okay? Committed, consistent. Yeah. That's good. I'm committed. It's consistent. Serve, I disagree, right? Casual, convenient, or cultural. Oh, yeah, Jesus, he's my buddy. He's my buddy. Yeah, we make it when we can. I grew up in the church. It's all I know. I just know. We just always went to church. Kind of cultural. It's just part of our family, isn't it? This is what we do. Crisis. Sometimes our, our Christianity is really just crisis-driven. You know? How many of you tend to pray more when there's a crisis? Right? right? That, that's fine, but sometimes in our life, just as a whole, 
we walk with Jesus mostly when there's a need. Mostly when there's a need. It's not a day-to-day walk following Jesus. It's crisis-driven, right? Concern primarily about me. This is where I was talking about the, the privatization of our Christianity. My personal relationship with Jesus, yeah, it's about my spiritual growth. It's about my needs. It's what I get out of it. It's my expectations. It's my wants. It's how others treat me. Isn't that what it's supposed to be about? Me? Right? And unfortunately, even the church, we feed that. And now we're going to Bible studies only for me. Only for me. Right? Contractual. A lot of us see our walk with Jesus as a, as a contract, some sort of contractual arrangement. We're going to talk about this in just a second. And finally, here's our hope, here's our prayer the next few weeks. You would be able to understand that biblically, your personal relationship should be described by covenant. If somebody were to ask you, hey, what's this Jesus all about? What's this Christianity? What's this personal relationship? You should be able to say, it's covenant, man. It's all about covenant. Now, for many here, that's just a new word. And I could tell just by your like, what? Right? It's like the Charlie Brown, wah, 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 I was good up until that covenant word, that last one. Because we don't have a, have a real understanding of biblical covenant as the, the root and the foundation of our faith in Jesus and our walk with Jesus, that lack of understanding, that lack of appropriation, that lack of application affects how the church operates. It affects every relationship in this room. If you don't understand covenant, you're going to struggle with all the 51 and other verses. If you don't understand covenant, you're going to live in doubt and insecurity about your identity in Christ. Covenant affects everything in my life and in your life as a believer and by default everything in this church. Covenant is the word that describes our personal relationship. And we're going to learn what it means, right? Most of us, I'm guessing, tend to see contract. The, on that list, probably the biggest, the biggest sort of misconception is, is contract versus covenant, right? I love this quote. America has become a contract-oriented culture. And we as Christians have bought into the mentality that all binding agreements, including marriage, right? Marriage is supposed to be a what? Covenant, right? Our contractual in nature. We tend to think of marriage, life's most serious and sacred relationship, in terms of conditions, limits, rights, and even outs. It's contractual. God intended it to be a covenant. But even in our culture, even in the church, it's sort of now more contractual. Right? So what's the distinction? A contract focuses on the growth of self. A covenant focuses on the giving of self. A contract asks, what am I getting from this marriage? Or church. Or relationship. A covenant asks, what am I bringing to this? A contract is a have-to commitment. A covenant is a want-to commitment. A contract is predicated on results. A covenant is predicated on relationships. See, when you approach us and you say, hey, what does it mean to make this our church home or my church home? Guess what we're going to say? Covenant. Covenant. And what we mean by that is 
your covenant first and foremost with Jesus, and then how it plays out in covenant this way. It's a heart level. It's a relational. It is much more than signing a document and saying, checking off the class list. No, no, no. It's a process. It's relationship. It's covenant, right? The notion of a covenant is unfamiliar today, but the concept of covenants is utterly basic to our understanding of Scripture. In Old Testament times, this complex concept was the foundation of social order and social relations. And it was particularly the foundation for an understanding of humanity's relationships with God. The concept of covenant is the key to understanding all relationships with God, our families, our friends, and especially our mates. God loves us by covenant. He provides for us by covenant. He blesses us by covenant. He operates in our lives by covenant. In reality, every truly valuable thing in life is ours because of covenant. It's covenant. Right? In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is barif. Covenant is a solemn, binding arrangement between two parties and entails a variety of responsibilities, benefits, and penalties depending on the specific content. It's often ratified by blood. And we're going to look at this. We're going to look in Old Testament. We're going to look at this. We're going to go back. And, and my prayer is if you're reading through, anyone here reading through the Bible this year? Right? So if you're reading through the Bible, you're going to see covenant all throughout. And my prayer for us is over the next week or so, you're going to go, oh my gosh, I get it. I understand covenant is woven all throughout the Old Testament, pointing to the new covenant in Jesus. Holy cow, God actually had a plan. Ding, ding, ding. That's what this is about. Covenant. You cannot understand a relationship with God without understanding covenant. Otherwise, you're going to default to contract, to all those other C words. You've got you to gotta stay rooted and grounded in biblical covenant, right? In the New Testament, the word is diatheke. We talked about this. A diatheke covenant is a greater party, a, a covenant between a greater party to a lesser party. A conquering king to a conquered king. A king to a servant. In this diatheke covenant, the greater sets the terms. Sets the responsibilities. The greater creates it, sets it. The lesser can only accept it or reject it. No negotiation. That's the gospel. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, what? Shall not perish, but have everlasting life. How many believe that's good news? Who set the terms of salvation? God set the terms. We either accept it or reject it. Is it up for negotiation? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Diatheke, the greater God, the ultimate great, sets the terms. We accept, we're, we accept it or reject it. Now, here's the crazy thing. Who receives all the benefits of that covenant? We do. Because God is good. And all the time. So this covenant, this diatheke covenant with a good God that we either accept or reject is ultimately for whose benefit? Ours. Point to the person next to you. It's for our benefit. Tell them it's for our benefit. It's for our benefit, right? Now, here's the thing. It is, it is, like I said, it's seen all throughout, all throughout the Bible. I, let's put up, let's show the, the, the uh, PowerPoint slide. So, kind of give you a picture. I know it's maybe hard to see in the back, but, right, there was the fall. Adam and Eve in the garden, there was the fall. If you look through the Old Testament, there are a series of covenants. 
Adam and Eve, with Noah, Abraham, Moses, David, and Jeremiah, there's a new covenant prophecy, all the way up to Hebrews 8, where he talks about the new covenant in Jesus. What is this all designed to do? To bring us back to relationship with God. Amen? That's the point of covenant. All throughout the Old Testament, culminating in the new covenant, is that God wants a relationship with who? Make it real. Nudge, he's talking about you. He's talking about you. Just tell him, he's talking about you. The whole Old Testament covenant, covenant sequence is a relational God desiring a relationship with you. Rooted in love. Rooted in love. We, this is this picture, we're like, oh my gosh. I'm starting to, oh. It's not just a 2018 thing. It goes all the way back to the fall. Because God wants a relationship with you in 2018. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's phenomenal if you wrap your mind around this, right? God's covenant, his desire for relationship, extends all the way to us right now. Right now, today, right? Covenants are really serious, right? When God enters into a covenantal relationship with men, he sovereignly institutes a life and death bond. A covenant is a bond in blood or a bond of life and death, sovereignly administered. So here's the thing. We can't be too cavalier about these covenants. And we're going to talk about more about the covenant ceremony next week, but I want to share this. In Genesis, God makes a covenant with Abraham, right? All these beautiful promises, right? He says you're going to go to a land, and then he says you're going to have an heir. And I love this. In Genesis 15:8, Abraham says, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So all these great benefits and promises come from God to Abraham. And Abraham asks a legitimate question. How do I know? How can I rest? How can I be sure? Right? And I love that question because we live in a very suspicious, sort of like leery culture. Leery culture. Right? How do I know? How can I trust this new covenant? How can I trust that Jesus really saved me? How can I know, right? And, and on Genesis 15, 18, so what happens is, we're going to look at this passage next, next week in depth. Genesis 15, he says, God says, Abraham, go to sleep. So he puts him in a deep sleep. Abraham goes into a deep sleep, right? And he says, hey, bring some animals. Before you go to sleep, bring some animals. They cut the animals in half and they separate them, Right? Genesis 15, 18 says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. So here's what happened. They got these animals and they cut them in half. So imagine how messy that was. Part of the covenant ceremony was the two people making a covenant would go between the animals and they would stand there. And they would recite the responsibilities, the vows to each other. And then they would walk a figure eight. No beginning, no end. Because covenants are binding. No beginning, no end. The only thing that ends a covenant is death. This is called, in in covenant ceremony, the walk of death. The walk of death. You're going to see in the covenant ceremony next week that there's a lot of similarities and symbolism in in, uh, present-day wedding ceremonies. So oftentimes when I do weddings, when I get to perform um, wedding ceremonies, right, it's set up like this. And then the bride walks here, 
and the groom goes and meets them. And all oftentimes in wedding ceremonies, say, hey, you ready for this walk of death? Because it's a covenant. It's serious business. It's a covenant. And you know what they're saying? When you stand between the two animals with all the blood and everything, here's what the walk of death says. If I don't uphold my responsibilities, may it be to me like this animal. That's how serious covenant is. If I don't uphold my end, kill me. It's death. Right? It's serious. Now, here's the crazy thing in Genesis 15. It says that God made covenant. He cut covenant. Right? That's where we get the phrase cutting covenant. That's why some people believe that's where you get cut a deal. Cutting covenant is an animal's cut. We recite the vows and basically we're saying, hey, it's between you and me. If either of us don't uphold it, done. May it be to us like this. Right? Serious. Seal the deal stuff, right? All in moment. All in moment. Here's, here's the wonderful thing about the Abrahamic covenant. Where was Abraham? Snoozing. A deep sleep. Who symbolically walked the walk of death? God did. God sealed this by himself. It was unilateral. Because Abraham had asked, hey, how do I know? God says, go to sleep. I'm going to commit myself in the walk of death to fulfill this. Mind blown. Mind blown. God walks the walk of death to let Abraham know this is going to happen. This is going to happen. Bank on it because I'm walking the walk of death. You just sit there and go to sleep. That's the power of covenant. Covenant was around in this culture hundreds and hundreds of years. So when people spoke of covenant and when they heard about these stories, they're like, what? God? Put Abraham to sleep, and God did the walk of death to show Abraham that, yeah, this is sign sealed, delivered. Done. Can't get much more serious than swearing by myself. Right? And then it comes all the way to the new covenant. The new covenant, right? Fred Lowry says this God is a relational being, He is our Heavenly Father. And to be a father involves connection, it implies relationship. God was connected to us by creation, separated from us by sin, and reconnected to us by our redemption through the death of Jesus on the cross. His covenant with us through Christ is the ultimate relationship. In Hebrews, Jesus is spoken of as the eternal, the greatest high priest, right? He's spoken of the mediator, right? Hebrews 7.22, because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The guarantee. Anyone ever co-sign for a loan? It was like, nope. What does a co-signer do? Guarantees it. Who's the guarantee? Jesus. It's the guarantee. He's the guarantee. 
Hebrews 8, 6. But the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he's a mediator is superior to the old one. And it is founded on better promises. We're going to look at this more. Jesus is the high priest. He's the mediator, right? And this is where it's so important that we really understand the seriousness and the security of covenant. See, there's a lot of believers who, you put your faith in Jesus, but you have this deep insecurity, maybe, this deep doubt. Am I saved? Am my name in heaven? Is God going to meet my needs? Is he going to, you know, this never leave me nor forsake me? Is that really true? Can I really just trust God? Can I really trust him? A lot of that is because is you haven't rooted yourself in covenant, in the seriousness of it, even the new covenant, right? In Hebrews 8, let's look at Hebrews 8 really quick. Hebrews 8. This is God's covenant. It says Hebrews 8.10. This is the covenant. He's speaking of the new covenant. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. And after that time, after that time declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Under the new covenant... You have a relationship with God. He changes you from the inside. And there is complete forgiveness. Amen? The Old Testament, all the sacrifices simply covered sin. The New Covenant forgives sin. He remembers your sin no more. And then in Ezekiel 36, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. New covenant. He's going to change your heart. He's going to change my heart to want to do his will. And he's going to give me his Holy Spirit. Amen. See, this is new covenant. Your relationship with Jesus, sure, it means forgiveness of sins, but it means uh, so much more. Come on, amen? So much more. Everything we've talked about, all the blessings, who you are in Christ, new creation. You've been given everything for life and godliness. It's all under new covenant. And here's the crazy thing about covenant. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. It's going to happen. It's guaranteed. How do we know it's guaranteed? Jesus what? His blood. His walk of death. His walk of death. We didn't do anything just like Abraham. Jesus' blood. And, and all God asks us to do is what? Believe. Believe. God sets up this new covenant. He says... Here's all the blessings. I'm setting the terms. New heart, forgiveness of sins, relationship with me, Holy Spirit, etc., etc. He says, Jesus, you got to go. It's your blood that's going to guarantee this. And all he asks for us is believe. That's the power. That's the truth of the new covenant. In 1 Corinthians 11, there was a church that lost sight of this. And because they lost sight of this covenant with God, it affected how they were treating each other this way. Okay? 
1 Corinthians 11, you can turn there. The Corinthians were gathering for communion, the Lord's Supper. In these times, there would be a meal called the agape meal. Potluck, if you will. There was a potluck. And they would gather, and then at the end of the potluck, they would do what we call communion. They would break bread, and at these times, there's generally one cup that they would all drink out of wine, right? There was a problem in 1 Corinthians 11. The Corinthians were gathering for the potluck. There were rich people, there were poor people, right? But here's the crazy thing. They all knew that at the end of the potluck, we're supposed to celebrate communion. All about the new covenant, all about Jesus, all about being united, all that good stuff. But during the potluck, it was everyone for himself. It was selfish indulgence. Right? 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. This is the Apostle Paul calling out the Corinthians. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry. Another gets drunk. So they call a potluck. Some people bring lavish food, the rich. Some people who are poor have nothing to bring. But they're invited because it's the church. Here's what happens. Let's eat. People just start eating. Without a care of anyone else in the church. People start drinking. They're getting drunk. They're indulging in their own food. Maybe the food they brought and their buddy brought. And at the end of it all, some poor homeless person who's part of the church is still hungry. Got nothing out of this agape. What is agape? (laughs) Self-sacrificial. Out of this supposed agape meal, the church gathered, and it was just me, myself, and I. Let's eat. Let's drink. And Paul's like, what are you guys doing? What are you doing? It's a a pretty blunt call-out to how the church is treating each other. And what does he do? He goes all the way back to the cross. Look what he says. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant. In my blood, do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So here's a church of division, a church of self-centeredness, a church of self-indulgence, all sort of playing the church game. Hey, let's just do this, and then at the end, ha, 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 let's take communion. Ha, 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 aren't we really good people? And he calls them out, and he says, hey, let me, let, me go back to, let me go back to basics. Jesus, Jesus says, this is, this is bread is symbolic of my body. And, and the bread pieces we hear, I believe they still come from one loaf. 
And they would pass around a loaf and everyone would take out a piece from the loaf. Symbolic of what? One body. Unity. We're one. And then he would say, and this cup, this cup, there would usually be one cup that they would all drink out of as a sign of unity. He says, this cup is symbolic of what? Well, it has his blood in it, but look at the verse. What is it? The new covenant. Ratified by what? See? Some of you are going to have a radical, a different communion experience. When you hold this cup as symbolic of what? The new covenant ratified by what's in it. What? His blood. And that blood is a guarantee. And that blood tells you and me, it's done. Bank on it. Be at peace. Rest. Trust. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. See, when they came forward and when they participated in it, they were renewing their faith and they were rehearsing all the new covenant benefits. It was humbling. They're holding a cup going, complete forgiveness, relationship with God, heart of stone, the heart of flesh, Holy Spirit in me, new creation. They're holding a symbol of the new covenant ratified by his blood. And that's the basis of Paul's correction to the church. He says, hey, get your eyes off yourself. Go back to the cross. Go back to Jesus. And when we do that, our behavior towards each other follows. Because Jesus says, hey, this is how the world's going to know you're my disciples. What? Love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. It's the basis. It goes back to Jesus. Our love and our covenant with Jesus extends out to our love and covenant to one another. And when you call this your church home, we want to meet with you. We want to talk with you. We want to get to know your story. We want to hear what journeys God's taken you on, what journey God's taking you on. Why? Because first and foremost, we love you and we want you to be growing in your relationship with God. And then we believe as you're doing that, you're going to grow in your relationships with one another. Amen? We don't flip it here and try to give you a bunch of do's and don'ts and think 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 and just try to get you into compliance and obedience. That's why we that's why we use the word covenant. It is a powerful, powerful word. Powerful word, right? In first John three twenty three, I love this I love this command. Go ahead, Eileen, put that up. Look at it. And this is his command. Very simple. Believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another. As he commanded us. That's kind of covenant around here. I don't know how, I don't know what to strip it down more to. When you say this is your church home, we first and foremost are concerned about your relationship with Jesus. Amen? And then we just want you to love one another. Can we just do that? Can we just do that? If we just did that, Jesus says in John 13, the world's going to know something's going on at 1290 grand. Amen? That's what it is. That's our heart. We're going to learn more about covenant ceremony and everything moving forward. But, but as we prepare, 
ask yourself, Lord, have I, have I turned this, what we're about to do, into just ritual? Have I separated about what I'm about to do from how I live? Have I separated from what I'm about to do up here at the table from how I treat other believers? He goes on in that passage, hey, examine yourself. Examine yourself. Does your life here in the church and outside the church, is it consistent with new covenant? Is it consistent with having a covenant relationship with Jesus? That's what he's challenging the Corinthians. That's what I think he wants to say to us today. And we saw what repent. If, it, if it's not, confess it. If it's not, just repent. Change your mind, change your heart, change your attitude. Just spend some time before you come up and say, Lord, I see some of that in me. I see some of that. I thought this was just a plastic container holding grape juice. Lord, somewhere along the line, I lost sight that this is symbolic of the new covenant and all of the fabulous supernatural promises and benefits that come my way ratified by the symbolic blood in it. Oh, Lord, forgive me for making it something so of me. So we're going to take communion. If you're visiting, we have tables up here and you guys can come out of your seats and just take it back to your seats and have a time with, have a time with the Lord. Prayer, confession, whatever it is, now that you understand covenant, now you understand what was going on in the Corinthian church. And if you have a, have a time of confession, you can do that. A time of just getting right, you can do that. And you can take communion on your own, on your own, just between you and the Lord. If you're not sure about your relationship with Jesus, the God says, hey, you want a covenant? You want a new covenant relationship with me? Believe on my son. You're saved by grace through faith. Just believe on him. Trust him. Rest your full weight on his finished work at Calvary. And the crazy thing is, new covenant comes right at you. Ratified in his blood. Right? So we're going to do this. We'll have just a time as a church to just kind of spend this time and let God speak to us. Shadow and Vinny will come and sing a song. And then we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you for new covenant. Thank you that you are a covenant God. All the way from the time of the fall throughout the entire Old Testament, culminating in the New Testament in Jesus, you want relationship. And then, Lord, you want us and you call us and you place us into relationship with other believers in the church. And you say, love one another as you have loved us comes down to covenant comes down to love and so we take moments now to examine ourselves to let you really examine us we confess we confess where we have lost sight like the Corinthian church did we ask your forgiveness and we come to the communion table now mindful that the cup is symbolic of the new covenant ratified in your blood.